it's really interesting to be homeschooled by a person who barely graduated high school. You know, like my mom admittedly was never an academic. And so she kind of created a curriculum that she wanted her children to experience from her perspective. And I think she really put together this amazing opportunity for her kids to make life up as it came. There were plenty of times that my parents or my dad, my mom, would take us to a local park and my mom would have this cassette recorder and she would put on classical music and she would hold up artwork and my sisters and I and my brother were on a swing set and there's a poem I'll never forget it's called The Swing and so she would get us on the swing and then she would read us the poem and then we would catch tadpoles and we would do science experiments like I can't really remember a time where I had like a full-on textbook and I, I know that it's because my parents couldn't afford it. Like we had, we were on government assistance. Um, my dad worked two very blue collar jobs and my mom didn't have time with five kids to have a job. So it was very, very, very lean in our house, full of love, not so much full on money. Welcome to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. I'm your host, Kenna Klosterman, bringing you true stories from behind the lens and behind the lives of your favorite photographers, filmmakers, and creative industry game changers. From their struggles to their wins, we get the real human stories about why they do what they do. I believe there is something to learn from everyone's story. So listen, get inspired, and discover why, in the end, your creative journey is all worth it. Jasmine Starr is a photographer and business strategist who empowers entrepreneurs to build a brand, market it on social media, and create a life they love. After quitting law school, she picked up a camera, built an internationally recognized business, and teaches others how to do the same. In this episode, we talk about Jasmine's mission to help people believe that they can turn impossibilities into possibilities why she left being a wedding photographer after 12 years, and the path to building new businesses, including social curator. Jasmine describes her imaginative childhood, growing up homeschooled as a first-generation Latina, science experiments in the park, her mom dumpster diving for textbooks, and turning into an avid reader after not learning how to read until age 11. Hear how her mom surviving cancer led to Jasmine becoming resolute to live life on her own terms, and how she turned her mental soundtrack of self-loathing into one of self-love. This is We Are Photographers with Jasmine Starr, and this is her story. Jasmine Starr, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. You have been a pivotal part of the Creative Life family for the past almost 10 years. I was looking at your Instagram feed and saw one of your posts that said, say yes to the projects that light you up, find your comfort zone, then leave. Was there a moment in your career where you'd found your comfort zone and then left. Yeah, there have been a few. 
And, you know, with social media being the way that it is, it makes it all that much more noticeable. Or a story you tell yourself is there are people looking, there are people noticing, what are the things that they're going to say? But then I started realizing that the only person who I owed anything to was myself. And is it scary to uh, to leave a very comfortable place in your life and career? Absolutely. But the upside is that uh, that hunger, that desire, that fear, that excitement of starting something brand new. So when did I find my comfort zone and then leave it? Well, probably the thing that was been closest was about, uh, goodness, two and a half years ago, making the clear decision to walk away from the comfort zone of wedding photography that had been strongly how I built a niche in photography. I picked up a camera. I didn't know, really know what discipline I wanted to, to focus on. And then weddings came to me and came to me in a tidal wave, a tidal wave of success, of notoriety, of publication, of awards. And I think it would have been very easy to stay in that lane and to have, you know, a very comfortable life and have it be very predictable. And it'd be year after year, the same wonderful thing. And I think sometimes people hear that and be like, that's what I aspire for. I aspire to travel the world with my partner. I uh, aspire to, you know, have multiple six figure revenue year after year. I aspire to work with editors. I aspire to collaborate with very other influential people in the industry and I say, I know, and it seemed counterintuitive to walk away from all of that, except for the fact that I wanted to live life on my own terms. Me and my camera wanted to do something new and exciting that scared the heck out of me. And what I look back then, the thing I would tell myself would be uh, to continue to keep moving forward because just on the other side of fear is everything that you want. So what now does light you up? What, do, what now does get you out of bed in the morning, even when it's bright and early, because I know you're an early riser. I mean, Kenna, like, who are we kidding? You said, Jasmine, when can we fit you? Like, when can we fit this podcast in? I was like, Kenna, I don't have, a, I don't have 60 minutes anywhere in my schedule except at 6.15 in the morning, to which you replied, okay, it'll be the first podcast interview I do at 6.15 in the morning. And I was like, girl, I've been doing them even earlier for people who are out on the East Coast. I think the thing that really drives me getting out of bed is understanding my purpose. And my purpose is to make people believe that the impossible is possible for them. And oftentimes throughout iterations of my career, it has been somebody being like, I'm picking up a Canon Rebel and I believe I can become a photographer. Whereas anybody else in the world could look at that and be like, oh, bless your heart, you know, pat you on the head and say, go on, I wish you well. At the end of the day, I believe in the painter who is picking up paintbrushes from a local art store. I believe in the jewelry maker who has no experience. I believe in the dog walker who just wants to spend time with dogs and wants to create a career out of it. I believe that. And so if I believe I've been put on this earth to make an impossibility a possibility for somebody else, I know that the thing I've been called to do is to use my camera, is to use my words, and to use my influence to impact lives in a better way. What was one of your impossibilities that you made possible? If we gave ourselves the permission to actually see life and the situations that have been put in front of us for what they were, I am not an anomaly. Like it, people accomplishing impossible things is far more the norm if you allow yourself to step into that. So one of the impossibilities, I am that person who picked up a very simple first generation digital camera with no experience and say, you know, I think I'm going to be a photographer. Like 
for all intents and purposes, anybody in the, in the photographic industry would look at that and be like, oh, look how sweet. She's a mommy blogger without any kids. She's a fashion blogger with really terrible fashion sense. She's whatever the, whatever fill in the blank it could be. What happened as a result was taking a very simple camera, a lot of chutzpah and being undeterred by negativity, by doubt, by fear and making my impossibility a possibility through the grace and support of clients who trusted me early on when for all intents and purposes, my portfolio didn't justify what I was trying to do, but they saw potential. And I think that if you have the capability of convincing and showing and proving people what you're capable of, then the only thing that's stopping you from taking an impossibility to a possibility would be your own limitations and your own fear and doubt. And I think that in my mind, you know, I was a full-time wedding photographer doing everything I dreamt of doing. And I did it for 12 years. That's a very long time. And I loved it. And I had to make the decision to say, I started what being a wedding photographer, loving it. And I want to end being a wedding photographer, loving it. And I just kind of looked at where I was trending. And I was like, if I continue doing this for another three, five, 10 years, I don't know. I can't say with certainty that I will love wedding photography. I can always say with certainty, I will always and forever remain a photographer. And I knew that I would love that. And I said, what else could I do with my camera that empowered me to, you, to pursue the thing that I wanted to do? And um, in my career, people, business owners were asking me, oh, how do I use social media? I see that you're using social media to build your business. And for a while, I only wanted to talk with photographers, like how to use social media, how to build a brand, how to market it out on platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube. And that's, I stayed in my lane for many years. And then other small business owners were like, what you're teaching photographers, can you teach me? Will it work for what I do? Will it work for direct sales? Will it work for real estate agents? And slowly but surely, I started testing the water consulting and figuring out what type of content will work in different industries. And then I came to that familiar bridge of what is an impossibility and what is it going to take to make it a possibility. So my husband and I, my husband JD is my business partner. We're high school sweethearts. I married out of my league. Kenna, can I get a witness? He's not like amazing, right? He is the best. I mean, he just I makes can... me smile when he walks in the room. This, the energy there is you know delightful. Kenna, that is so true. I, I, that is the most perfect description I can say of my husband. It's like when you see him, he's not the center of attention. He's not extraordinarily vivacious or loud or charismatic, but God, when he walks into the room, you just smile. And so we were out walking the dog and I'm smiling because I'm just staring at him and uh, we're walking the dog and we are trying to think of how can we create solutions for business owners to really show up on social media. And so we threw around this idea of what would it take for me, for us as photographers to create lifestyle stock imagery for people who are not photographers or even for photographers who just want different types of photos to be posting out on social media for maybe their newsletters or maybe random blog posts. And so we created this idea called Social Curator where we provide 30 lifestyle images 30 caption templates to teach people how to talk about their business on social media because people are always like, I don't know what to say. And then a monthly marketing action plan for accountability. And this had never existed. This idea that, that we could create something from nothing was so intoxicating. And then it leveraged everything I love doing. I love writing. 
And that became our marketing action plans. Um, I loved connecting with other business owners to inspire them to make them believe what is possible. I'm clearly in love being a photographer, so I was able to shoot. And when I'm writing caption templates, I understand the anatomy of a caption. Like, what really works on social? Like, what makes somebody stop their scroll and say, huh, I want to leave a comment? I understand the nuances of that just by being a practitioner. It's what I do every single day. And so to take all of those things and say, will this work? People don't actually understand what social curator is. But I often hear like interviews with other entrepreneurs, like perhaps like the uh, founder of Netflix. It's like he had to spend forever educating people. Like you put a DVD in a padded envelope and then it is mailed to you. I mean, there was so much education. And I feel like that's where we're at and nothing has made me feel more alive. Nothing is like the hustle, the grind, the scariness, the, Hey guys, this is a passionate project. The fact that thousands of people who are a part of this membership, it has literally taken what we thought was an impossible idea and made it possible. I think a lot of creatives, including myself, uh, can say to ourselves, oh, I'm not disciplined. Oh, I'm not structured. Structure is the enemy of creativity. And yet I see you and you, girl, are disciplined. So what what do you think about that, about about creativity and structure? Oh, I absolutely need structure to be creative. Because what happens is there's this tenuous balance. Now, I'm not saying that it's not possible for some people. I'm just saying for the vast majority, and I speak confidently working with creative entrepreneurs, is that we have this innate desire to create. And we stay in this perpetual state of, I'm just going to create whenever inspiration hits me. But without the actual discipline of doing it, you can't tell the difference of when something is different, perhaps when you have creativity your muse, your inspiration, a light, a fire to know that what you are creating in that moment is so different than the other times you have sat in the chair with your camera at a computer, at a canvas, spoken on a stage. The only way that you know when inspiration is hitting and when you're in your zone is when you have collectively and purposely set time to create so that you can tell the difference between the two. Because all of a sudden it's like you walk around in this nebulous bubble of I'm a constant creative and I'm gonna do the work when I want to. But that is a first world problem. Like there are so many of us who just need the time. Like I need blocks of time. I need, in order for me to have three hours to shoot photos for for social curator, for me to organize photo shoots, for me to put together a collaborative plan, I need so much time and structure for that. If I don't have the structure, I run around like a like a chicken without a head. I'm one. I run around asking, well, why isn't this working out? Why don't I have time? Well, I don't have time because I didn't make time. When I make time to structure the things that I need to be creative, when the time comes for me to be creative, I can then tell the difference between, oh wow, something powerful is happening here versus always walking around being like, I just wish I had 13 extra hours in my day. It's like, well, that's not going to happen. So what are you going to do to facilitate the time that you need to create? What, what do you prioritize for yourself now? Because I've come to learn that self-care really is the secret. So what does Jasmine do for self-care? Um, 
you know, I, I make sure that I sound very diva. I'm just going to say, I'm going to say it because I know that this is going to be people's thoughts, right? When I immediately, when it immediately comes out, I live in Newport beach, Southern California. So I'm one of those crazy health nuts. Okay. So I get it. It's already out there. I'm a gluten-free vegetarian. So top healthcare for me is to make sure because I have so many particular particularities about my food and what I eat, I need to make sure that I am, that my refrigerator is stocked with good, healthy choices. I grew up I'm a first-generation Latina, first-generation college student. I didn't learn how to eat properly until I was probably 30 years old. Like, I just didn't grow up in that home. Like, I grew up in a great, loving, amazing home. But food was like a reward, and food was comfort, and food wasn't just like sustenance, and it wasn't powerful. It was, oh, let me just pile a bunch of flour tortillas and beans and cheese. And, you know, who doesn't love a good burrito? I do. But I've come to learn that in order for my body to function at the rate that it has, like, the burritos have to be like uh, – a, a wonderful decadence, a family celebration. It can't be something that I'm doing with regularity. So number one priority is to make sure that my refrigerator is fully stocked with healthy, good brain food. I see an acupuncturist every other week. I see a chiropractor every other week. I uh, go to a therapist once a month. I practice yoga every day. I work out 60 to 75 minutes every day. I make sure that I meditate, I journal, I pray, I read. Um, these are all things that are prioritized and worked into my schedule. This goes back to when we just spoke about discipline. It's discipline for art and it's discipline for personal productivity. And oftentimes people say, I'm not that structured. And I would come back and say, I am not either. But in order for me to do the things that I see in my future, I must act and behave as if that success is a foregone conclusion. So if I, in the future, achieve and accomplish what I want to do with Social Curator, I must act and map my actions today to ensure that that things that I want to happen tomorrow will. And at the rate at which I go, if I'm not taking care of myself, I don't know. The level of stress that, that I am under, um, if I wasn't taking care of myself right now, I don't think I can make it to where I want to ultimately be. So it's always a top priority. I want to know, you, you just started to talk about Jasmine as as a younger girl. What was what was childhood like in terms of creativity? Oh, wow. I love this question, and I've never been asked. Um, so like I would mentioned, first-generation Latina, uh, my parents have immigrated. My mom was born in Puerto Rico, moved to mainland U.S. Uh, around five years old, and then my dad was born in Mexico and immigrated uh, to the U.S. when he was like 13. And I think as a result of that, my parents were very, very, very working class. They weren't educated. Um, and my dad didn't learn how to read until he was around 25, 26. And as a result, my parents really tried their best, but we lived in a rough and tumble part of Los Angeles. And my parents made the very hard decision to keep their kids at home. So my, myself and my four siblings, very Latino family, all five of them, all five kids, my mom homeschooled us so that we wouldn't have to go through the metal detectors. Um, there was a drive-by shooting like multiple times, a few blocks from our house. I mean, it just wasn't like the best situation. So my parents decided to keep us home. And it's really interesting to be homeschooled by a person who barely graduated high school. You know, like she, my mom admittedly was never an academic. And so she kind of created a curriculum that she wanted 
wanted her children to experience from her perspective. Now, my mom uh, really was into the theater arts and she was like uh, the latter part of a desire to be a hippie. Like she wasn't in the hippie era, but she definitely like looked at hippies and was like, that's like the coolest life. And I think she really put together this amazing opportunity for her kids to make life up as it came. So our math lessons were us going to the grocery store and like weighing fruits and vegetables and having like learning the metric system. Um, there were plenty of times that my parents or my dad, my mom would take us to a local park and my mom would have this cassette recorder and she would put on classical music and she would hold up old classical pieces of artwork and then she would read a poem. So classical music, we're looking at artwork and my sisters and I and my brother, we're on a swing set and there's a poem I'll never forget. It's called The Swing. And so she would get us on the swing and then she would read us the poem and then we would catch tadpoles and we would do science experiments. Like I can't really remember a time where I had like a full on textbook. And I, I know that it's because my parents couldn't afford it. Like we had, we were on government assistance. Um, my dad worked two very blue collar jobs and my mom didn't have time with five kids to have a job. So it was very, very, very lean in our house, full of love, not so much full on money, but there was a time where I had like a formal textbook and it was at the end of the school year and there was like a local elementary school and my mom took us down and she said, you guys have to watch out right here, sit by this dumpster and you guys just watch and see if anybody's coming. She flipped back the lid of the dumpster and my mom dove into a dumpster and collected discarded textbooks. These discarded textbooks were missing pieces of books, but what my mom did was she got a collection of like seven or eight of them and she took apart each of the eight books and then she put together one complete book and that then served as our textbooks, like growing up. Like, so to, to say like what fostered creativity was just a wild imagination. I didn't learn to read until I was 11 years old because my mom firmly believed like, oh, it'll just happen. Like I'm going to read to you. And then one day it's going to happen. And then it did. And I, be I became an avid reader, like at our local library, like the librarians would see the, the wars kids coming in and they'd say, okay, guys, you can only check out five books at a time. And I was so irate. Cause I was like, I can finish five books in two days. And we would have to catch the bus to get to the library. So I went to the head librarian and I explained, you know, I explained the injustice of it all. I said, I'm a homeschooler and I love to read and my parents take the bus here and I can't come here more than once a week. And she totally bent the rules around. I'll never forget Mrs. Bloom. Mrs. Bloom was like the queen of the library and she bent the rules. So as far as creativity, it was like, what didn't my mom do? It's like, she gave us like vinegar and baking soda and said, go make a volcano. I mean, she, it was like, literally like you make your life rules up as you go and it all fall into place. And I think that as a business, that's very much played out to be the same. An incredible mother. Oh, she's awesome. Kenna. She's really a gangster. Like she's really a gangster. I'm like, she's like a creative gangster. I want to come down to Southern California and go to dinner with my mom and your mom. That would be amazing. Yes, two cancer survivors That's who right. like look life in the face and dare dare it to say like, rob me of this joy. And however, my, whenever my time comes, I'm going to go out the way that I want to go out. And both our moms like set like amazing examples of that. So speaking of that, what did having your mom have cancer change for you? In the most simplest of terms, it was like I looked death in the face and I realized the fragility of life. And I know that, that like we, we run the very, very like trite risk of sounding extraordinarily like dramatic about it. I looked death in the face, but 
really, there's no other way to describe it. My mom had battled severe, severe asthma about four years and I'm the eldest of five children. And it was a regular occurrence that I would be woken by my mom um, in a serious asthma attack. We're talking about like a level 10 asthma attack where I would rush her to the hospital because she didn't want to call the ambulance because we didn't have the money for it. And so I would take her to the hospital and not once, but twice my mom was put on life support and this is pre cancer. So then my mom gets cancer and, uh, she battled eight years. She had three brain surgeries. She had a shunt placed in her head. She was on bed rest for not one year, but years. And I think that that really leaves an indelible impression. I, I was growing up. I was in high school when I was driving my mom to the emergency room. I was driving home from college every single weekend to take care of my younger brothers and si like younger brothers and sisters. I was making lunch for them. I was doing laundry for them. And there my mom would be completely catatonic on our couch, bald. And she also had a palsy and so half of her face didn't work. So she had, she was bald. She had an eye patch, the chemotherapy, ex, like the steroids exploded her, her weight. So she just didn't even look like herself anymore. I can't help but think that when you are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, and every single day, your thoughts are consumed with, is she going to survive today? That as an adult, you can't, you can't walk away from that. You can't not think about that. So I think that what did she teach me? I had to come to a very clear reconciliation. My mom was 50 years old and I was 25 years old and I was unhappy. I was overwhelmed and I was stressed doing something I didn't want to do. My whole life I thought I'm going to go to law school because this is what a first generation Latina does. This is how I will make the community proud. This is how I'll make my church proud. This is how I'll make my family proud. This is all a narrative I'm telling myself. Nobody said do that and then we'll be happy. I had just put all these rules and I'm like I'm going to matter. I'm going to ex I'm going to excel and I'm going to succeed and this is how I'm going to do it. And it's like there's nothing more devastating to work so hard towards a goal and when you get there it's empty and vacuous and you feel wildly alone. It was at this time that my pet, that my doctor, that the doctors told my mom that she had a relapse of brain cancer. And after her battling so long, they said, we're removing the shunt from her brain. We administered the chemotherapy. We're going to let her pass on her own. And I think that when you have to have that conversation of how are we making funeral arrangements, she was 50 years old and I was 25. And I felt like I had a midlife crisis. Like, I, what if I had 25 years left in my life? And I think the thing that I didn't realize then that I know now is none of us are guaranteed 25 years. We're not even guaranteed 25 minutes. So what are we going to do with our one wild and beautiful, amazing life? And it was then that I totally realized I could do the safe and predictable route of becoming a lawyer. I would think I would be a really successful lawyer. Or I could take the risk and say, I wanted to be a photographer, even though I didn't have a camera. I chose, the, I chose the latter. And I think like, what did, what did the situation with my mom do or change about me is that life is short and however little time we have on this beautiful, amazing earth, what do I want to do and how do I want to spend that time? And that is the greatest gift. And that will remain my mother's legacy. It's a really powerful experience. Um, and so I want to, speaking of family, just come back to one final question for you, Jasmine. I want you to fill in the blank. Love is. Love is me.
this year my word. I, I don't know if I don't know if it's because I'm creative or because I'm cerebral. I'm this weird mix of both. But every year I choose a word to really step into. And like, it's as if like, I just channel the energy and the word comes to me. Last year, my word was surrender. And I hated that word. I was like, I don't wanna surrender. Like, I feel like I'm valiant and I'm a fighter and I do the things that I want, but I had to surrender. I had to surrender to things that were happening, not to me, but for me. I had to surrender to not, to the unknowingness. I had to surrender to the unpredictability of the things that I wanted to do with my life. I had to surrender to things that were greater than me that I felt like were shaping me to become the thing and person I needed to be in the future. And then 2019 hit and I so strongly felt that the word this year was love. And again, I bucked against this notion because I'm very, very, very linear. Like I'm fine. Everybody's fine. I'm going to do these things. And I receive love when I do things for other people, when I am a certain thing. And what I feel like I've reconciled in the past few months is I am love. I love myself. And I love myself in such a capacity that I can now receive love from other people. I always felt like, oh, well, if I do this, then I will have the relationships that I want. And if I do that, then I'll be respected. And under the whole underlying current is I didn't know, I don't know, and I didn't know, and I'm working on knowing that if I love myself, that no matter what people say or do or think of me, that I am setting the path for how people will treat me. And if they don't align in that path, that's okay because I am content on my own. So when you ask me, love is, I can now confidently and amazingly say like, love is me. Every morning I wake up and I say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I heard Einstein said it a hundred times before he got up out of bed. And then I say, today is gonna be a great day. And then I literally put my hands over my heart and I say, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. Because for decades, Kenna, I didn't. I didn't realize how much I hated myself. And as a result of like self-hate and loathing, even though I didn't wake up and say, I hate myself, but my actions, the way that I spoke to myself, like, like you could do this better. This is so stupid. Do you see what other people are doing? Why can't you keep up? You could have done better. That was a constant narrative. I, when I say that, it doesn't sound like hate, but when that is the only soundtrack in your mind is you're not good enough, you're not doing it, you could do better, try harder, look what other people are doing, that becomes a soundtrack of self-loathing. And I had to really take a hard step back and say, if I loved myself, I would say things to myself like, you're doing a great job with what you have. Continue moving forward. You didn't fail. You learned something. So what's that thing that you're not going to repeat again? And so every morning when I can just say, and I know it sounds ridiculous, but I read a book last year uh, entitled Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. It's literally like, it's about the length of a blog post, but you can get it on Amazon. And no, I don't get any affiliate codes. This book was the most ridiculous book written by a Silicon CEO who had a life transformation. And I read it and I was like, oh, this is me. It's I'm not, I'm never, what I do is never enough. And that became a soundtrack to self-loathing. And every morning when I could start by saying, I am worthy of love, I am loved and I am loved by others and I am loved by God, I can't think of a better way to, to start my day. So that was a very long answer to love is, and I can say love is me. First of all, I didn't know that your word for the year was love. I actually didn't say it. So here you go. A debut on Creative Live. It's like a, usually like a private thing, and then it just came out. And I was like, well, I hope whoever hears it is supposed to hear it. 
Oh, absolutely. So thank you for that, Jasmine. Thank, thank you, you for this amazing conversation uh, to to share with the Creative Live community and beyond. I am wondering where everyone can follow what you are doing, everything that you're creating. Uh, where can people follow you, Jasmine? I try to make it easy. I'm Jasmine Starr on all social platforms, and you can get more information about what I do and who I am and score a bunch of freebies at jasminestarr.com. Fantastic. Thank you, Kenna. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. How do you like to go up in a swing, up in the air so blue? Oh, I do think it the pleasantest thing ever a child can do. Up in the air and over the wall, till I can see so wide, rivers and trees and cattle all over the countryside. Till I look down on the garden green, down on the roof so brown, up in the air I go flying again, up in the air and down. Fosterman, and you've been listening to the We Are Photographers podcast from Creative Live. Be sure to follow all things Jasmine Starr on her website, jasminestar.com. At Creative Live, we believe there's a creator and a photographer in all of us. And yes, that means you. If you're looking to get fresh perspectives, inspiration, or skills to boost your hobbies, business, or life, we've got a class or two or thousands for you to check out just head over to creativelive.com. For those of you brand new to Creative Live, welcome to our global community of over 10 million strong. We have a special gift just for you. Use the code WEARPHOTOGRAPHERS at checkout and get $10 off your very first purchase. That code is WEARPHOTOGRAPHERS, all one word, no spaces. In fact, you can use that $10 off to pick up any Jasmine Star class on Creative Live including her most recent, Your Social Media Bootcamp. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you again to Jasmine Starr, and I'll see you all next week for another episode of We Are Photographers.